Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. But this week, we're going with a deviation. Not a singular film, but rather a film festival. Joining me to talk about South by Southwest is Megan Burnovich. Hi, I'm so happy to be back, and I'm really excited to be talking about this festival in particular. Yeah, so this was, this film festival came up on us really quickly. Not for you, you have been planning to attend this film festival for a while. Yeah, so actually what I did was, um, luckily I had family in the area, so I was able to stay with them, and I volunteered for South by Southwest. Um, I was part of the press team, and basically uh, the benefit of that is uh, once you're signed up to do that and you've got your schedule, uh, they give you a free badge to the festival of your choosing. Uh, and of course, for that was film for me. And if you don't want to volunteer, uh, you can do what I did and get the student pass, which is like 70% off. Absolutely insane deal. Amazing deal. <laughs> but let's start off with, let's talk about the overall experience. I think... We are experiencing film festivals as it currently stands is exposure to SIF, which is like a three-week film festival. 25 days. <laughs> which goes on like seemingly forever. But South by Southwest is, I, do you know if it's bigger? It's not bigger in terms of films, but it has a lot more different branches. Uh, and it takes place over 10 days as opposed to 25 yeah, so it definitely has a lot more facets to it because there's also a music festival, gaming and interactive things going on. Interactive meaning like technology. Yes. For those at home. And just a ton of different things going on. They do lectures, all these keynotes, and uh, it's really just an all-around really amazing experience culturally. But the film in particular, uh, they they craft that lineup very well. It's usually the first time a lot of these films are meeting their audiences, and so it's exciting to see that, and uh, it, it goes by very quickly. So it, it felt like a blur to me because uh, there was so much going on every day. Yeah, uh, I love this festival. Just when you get there, it's totally different experience. Uh, the atmosphere is just electric in a lot of ways. Everyone there is hugely passionate about film. So in love with with film and with festival going. It, it's very welcoming for, for two people who have never been before and never been to Austin, Texas. It was surprisingly welcoming and easy to kind of learn the ropes. I think we had one one film that really kind of blindsided us that we weren't prepared. Oh, we yeah. just didn't know how the festival worked yet. And oh, it was, we learned real quick. We learned our lesson. It was opening night. We had planned to go see the world premiere of Jordan Peele's Us. Uh, got in line probably what? almost two hours early for it, and there were probably 2,000 people in line, and we did not get in. <laughs> so the, what I heard from someone else talking to them later, talking to people in line, is that they messed up the line. Oh, I cannot confirm or okay, deny. okay. So I heard that they mixed up. It was like the opening night, so it was the first time they were doing the Paramount, and I heard that a few lines got crossed. Because remember we walked around like two blocks? Yeah. And then ever since then, the lining up, was totally different. Yeah, so I'm sure that there was all kinds of snafus going on, but that was the only one where we had a sudden and stark realization that 
this is serious business and that we would have to be uh, early for everything and prepared to kind of wait our time before we could go and, and, and see our films. Yeah. But we learned very quickly from that uh, slight mistake. And for the rest of the festival, I thought it went really, really wonderfully. Yeah. I just want to, like, I can't, it's hard to put into words how great this festival is. Just when you're walking around the aura of everything it's there. so electric and fun. Uh, the city itself is vibrant and full of music and entertainment and amazing food. I'd go back just for the food. <laughs> yeah. And there are probably half a dozen venues that they were playing films over, and going in between all of them was kind of a small experience in itself. Traveling by, by pedicab and just walking through the city walking, was shuttles. A, a wonderful, wonderfully fun time. All right, so Let's here's here's it. the format for the podcast. We're going to go through, since it's only 10 days, uh, we're going to go through day by day in all the films we saw. Uh, there may be some overlap because Megan saw films on different days than I did. Mm -hmm. She saw films that she did, but I did not, and I vice versa. We got some stories to tell, some little fun little anecdotes. Uh, we already talked to you about Us, but Us was our first film that we had went, or we tried getting into. Yes. It was on uh, Thursday the 8th. We tried getting to us. Did not pan out. So that was like right off the bat. We're like, oh, this is going to be a game of waiting. So like, what we quickly learned is uh, that if you want to go see some of these films, you're going to have to be waiting like hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, which is worth it in a lot of cases. And also, us was probably like the worst. Oh, I mean, there were there were so many people in line for it because it was probably going to be the biggest film in the festival. And so... Um, yeah, it was the only time that we were kind of a little bit bummed out, but more than made up for it for the rest of the time we were there. So yeah. the first uh, thing that we did get in to see was later that night, we went to the world premiere of the episodic American series uh, of What We Do in the Shadows, which is adapted from Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement's 2014 film by the same name, which is one of my favorite films ever. It was kind of a reworking of it with a lot of the same premise and jokes and gags, just kind of a more Americanized version of that split over a series of episodes. Yeah. So um, for me, it was it was fun and it was funny because I love that premise and I love their writing and, and the feel of uh, comedy that they create. But it was a lot of the same jokes I've heard before and heard many times. I think I've seen the original film probably 20 times. <laughs> And so, for me, it was instantly just a little bit played out, but I still had a lot of fun, and it was fun to see them talk about it and and interact with their audience live. What yeah. did you think? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, by the time people listen to this, they can go see what we saw, so it's not like... Yeah. I, I don't, we can probably <laughs> skip this one pretty quickly. The only fun part is we got to see, like, Taika Waititi and, like, what is this? Jemaine. Yeah. We saw them, too, and they were like... Sometimes they were roasting some of these their, questions. <laughs> their poor uh, conversation and and Q and A moderator was just roasted to death instantly. With just by dry, these two, dry humor. These two right. Kiwi comedians who no one was prepared for. Yeah, they're just they're just such gems, and I'm I'm so excited to see everything that they do. But yeah, so that was what we do in the shadows in our first day at South by. Also, we may get some crossover here. We do have some TV. We have very few TV episodes. Most of it's going to be film, but as we mentioned before, South by Southwest is a film, a TV 
music. It's like a huge giant festival. array of things. So we got to see some stuff that I think I probably normally would not have on my radar, which was exciting. So, uh, Greg, what did you see the next day? Running with Beto, straight up at eleven thirty a.m. I'm waiting in line. This is this is the first official film for me at the festival. And you text me like I'm waiting in line. You like, oh, Beto's supposed to be there. I'm like, check the app. Not there. Not time. I'm like, nah, he's not showing up. Yeah, and I was volunteering, working a shift at the time, just on Twitter, uh, dying with jealousy that I couldn't be there for that world premiere. But I had been seeing just kind of these rumblings on Twitter of something maybe happening with that. And so uh, Greg was there, and... Yeah, we were waiting in line. <laughs> so the way the Paramount is set up is that you don't wait in front of the theater. A very small sliver of the line waits in front of the theater, and then you loop around the building and loop around the block. So I was like, mm, it's fine. But when you turn the corner getting in, you see like just this massive security. And I'm like, oh, he is coming to this. <laughs> and he did. Uh, it was very like, they like, when they dimmed the lights, they didn't want to, they didn't bring him out beforehand. They brought him out afterwards, but it was blatantly obvious because when the lights went down, you saw these people come up the row, sit in these like reserved seats. And then the photographer was taking pictures of Beto in his seat. And someone thought that was like, a flash from a video camera and they said turn your flash off <laughs> so they, I, they didn't realize it but um, <laughs> they just unintentionally yelled at Beto O'Rourke there's a lot of paths or cross there will be a lot of anecdotes of crossing paths with celebrities here but oh yeah Beto was there and this was before he had declared his uh presidential run and I was like well when everyone everyone thought he was going to declare right back. I was like, oh hell yeah, he's gonna <laughs> just come on South by Southwest and when some because someone asked him. Someone straight up asked him like the twenty twenty question and he dodged it and we're like, oh well, I thought there was that dream. But let's get to the film itself. You saw it as well. Yeah, so we can uh dive into that. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very honest and and uh, trusting an intimate look at his life and his family life. I think it's too early currently to tell kind of how this uh, presidential ele election and, and his run is going to pan out, but um, I thought that it was, it was really special to see his Senate run with a Texan audience um, because it was just such an emotional thing for these people and it was so personal. There was not a dry eye by the end in the audience because uh, a lot of these people are very um, passionate about him and passionate about their home state. So it was it was really a, a special experience from that perspective, and I thought the film itself truly lived up to that that emotion and uh, all of his his campaigners and his supporters and uh, the people that he was working with were also very um, genuine and, and and interesting. And it was fun to have that kind of insider perspective of someone who was going against the grain and and being really ambitious. Yeah, uh, I think what this film, what I think the film does so well is that it inspires kind of like political action mm -hmm. in the space of defeat. Mm -hmm. uh, for those at home who don't follow politics, he did not win at the end. I don't think it's a spoiler. You can just blame the obvious. Yeah. So he didn't win, but the whole time you're kind of seeing because you kind of, you know the ending, yeah, and but all the people have... in the audience know the ending, <laughs> and you kind of it's it's building this kind of political inspiration that like there are these injustices going on, and it takes like even if you lose, it's still something worth fighting for, which I think encourages this kind of political action, yeah, in the face of 
Yeah. Adversity. Also, so many people hissed when Dead Crew came on. <laughs> well, Texas is now a battleground state, which is uh, something that's really phenomenal in itself. So um, I, I think that it was a really, really wonderful premiere at South By, and uh, it totally lived up to uh, all of the expectations. Yeah. One of the two political docs at the festival, the other one is Knocked Down the House. Yep. Uh, didn't get a chance to see it. I had the opportunity, it was like the first film of the film festival, or one of the first films of a day. Yeah. Not the first film of a film festival. One of the first films on a day. However, I skipped week 10 of the win of spring winter quarter to go to this. Skipped week 10. Uh, it ended pretty much at the beginning of finals week for me. And I had three projects to do, three final projects to do while I was waiting in line for uh, all these films. So I ended up skipping Knock Down the House. Mm. But... Okay. This one comes to HBO later this year. I think it's in August. Probably. I think they're doing it closer then? towards like November election dates and stuff like that. Okay, next thing. For the listeners at home, I watched uh, 23 films at the film festival over the course of 10 days. Nine days, I think, because the 10th yeah. day is like a hangar day. Yeah, and I think I clocked in a little bit under that because I was working about uh, 50 hours during the festival. So. Yeah, and just be clear, the SIF, last year I saw it over the course of SIF, which is three weeks saw 22 films so it tells you how how much we're like pumping in days there's like yes. days where you can do like four or five films okay so what was the next thing we saw uh i beach bum yes um so this one was really funny because while we were standing in line for it some representatives were walking by passing through and handing out these little scratch and sniff cards and each one of these little scratch and sniff scents was a different kind of weed uh, which really set the tone for uh, the sort of film that this was. I mean, like, did you did you have any kind of other impressions <laughs> of what a harmony Curran film would be? With Snoop Dogg and Matthew McConaughey? Not really, but it really drove home uh, exactly the tone. Because you saw, I saw, like, a bunch of set pictures of Matthew McConaughey on the beach in his, like, his beach bum attire with, like, mm -hmm. his Hawaiian shirts and his flame hot rod shirts and shorts. Yeah. It's just this uh, margarita and Mai Tai drenched rambling through the keys, uh, just following Matthew McConaughey as a character named Moondog, who is just kind of floating through on the, uh, the wealth of his wife. And He was a successful poet, but yes. now he has since kind of lingered in his own success for too long. The tagline for the film is, you gotta go low to get high, which I think is... It's a reference to getting high and all the shit he does, but more importantly, it's like a guy who keeps failing and failing upwards. Yes. There's one, the whole thing is like a giant joke. During the Q&A, he was saying, I want to make like this vibe kind of thing in response to all the craziness that's going on in the country. And it's basically like a chiller mood piece where you're just yeah. kind of just, you're here literally for the skits. It's all insane. You have a, a phenomenal supporting cast in terms of, Isla Fisher, Snoop Dogg, Martin uh, Lawrence, Martin Lawrence, James Buffett, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, the, Jimmy Buffett, the mayor like, of Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett is <laughs> literally himself. He they literally call him Jimmy Buffett in the film, and he's like this. He's just like a retired singer. He's literally what he is. Yeah. He's a retired singer on the Florida Keys, just enjoying his life and doing boating and smoking weed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think mood piece is a really good way to describe it. I thought it was really well shot and had a lot of those colors that you're looking for for that kind of environment and uh and mood. Overall, it definitely is just one big joke and and one big kind of uh character character piece. Yeah. 
So if you like Spring Breakers, you're going to like this, I think. Yes. Right? It doesn't have... Spring Breakers, I say, I guess you could say, is a little bit more artistically influenced. It has some kind of, like, avant-garde elements to it. But Beach Bum is more straightforward, but also more of the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does have some uh, comedy, and and I think the editing is interesting and and worthwhile oh, Zach Efron's in this. I oh yes oh right how did we overlook he's in um, it for like his three. panini beard <laughs> yeah he's in it for like three minutes it's it's definitely what are those shorts that he has they're called jankos oh yeah oh god is, those jinko pants yeah the jinkos jnco pants uh yeah and his vape and he's he's just a fascinating character so um it's it's probably worth a watch it's Definitely you have to be in kind of the right laid-back mindset to really just kind of let this film wash over you. Yeah. Um, what was next? I think the next one was Tales from the Lodge. Tales from the Lodge. Just so, run through. Just do, I just do a pitch, I would say. So the pitch is for this film is that these five friends, six friends, come to this lodge in the middle of the woods, and they are, like, kind of reconnecting. Yeah, it's kind of this reunion where they are going to spread the ashes of their deceased friend. But they also may be hunted by a maniac in the woods. And it is a portmanteau film. And so within this story, all of the characters get to tell their own scary story. Uh, and what's interesting about it is that all of these actors who played these characters directed these little uh skit stories so it's it's an interesting premise execution was pretty um middling it's like and... a mix of like comedy and horror which for me is like a big turn off i don't like the comedy and horror mixing in my films because i think it creates for me it creates tonal inconsistencies where the like unless you can transition very quickly between suspense and like diffusing humor i don't think it works very well and i don't think it works a well. lot all in this film. Well, the problem also is for me is that it's very, very British and that really didn't land quite at all. But yeah, it's it's a it's a midnighter and that's about what you would expect from it. Then there was another film that we actually got to see. Uh, yeah, so or this... rather not a film, but a series of short films. Uh, they are R-rated, animated, sci-fi influenced Love, Death, and Robots, curated and programmed by Tim Miller and David Fincher. Yeah, so we skipped Longshot for this. Longshot was playing at the Paramount after Beach Bum. Longshot, uh, well, it was a toss-up. I wanted to go see David Fincher super bad. Yeah. And it was and playing at the Ritz, the Alamo Ritz, which is a much smaller theater than the Paramount. Probably seats about, what did you say, 160? 80. 180. Uh, yeah, so we stood in line for this. Luckily, it was the Alamo, and so we got to have uh, a good dinner. Oh, yeah, and... first time experiencing <laughs> the Alamo. So we had we had left the Beach Bum a little bit earlier, the Q&A. Yeah. Because we wanted to get to... We knew the Alamo Ridge was much smaller. And we are like, oh, we gotta go straight from one thing to another. And I think Beach Bum was at, like, 6 p.m., and then this one was at, like, 9.30. So we basically skipped dinner, and we are like, fuck, we were so hungry and tired. And when we get in the theater... This is our first time doing Alamo, and we thought maybe they wouldn't run the actual kitchen. Oh, no. They we, did. No, yeah, they ran the <laughs> kitchen during the film festival, so we got to eat food. During yeah, it, and not only that, but we got uh, Beach Bum influenced, like, key lime pie milkshakes and drinks and all sorts of really delicious food that the Alamo is kind of famous for, and, and it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. Um, and on top of that, we got to see six episodes, well, episodes... Rather, um, just short films from the series 
uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Which you can find on Netflix. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it was promoted. I don't know how much it was promoted. I can see I'm liking it. Once you, once you click on something on Netflix, it's always in your thing. But knowing Netflix, they probably haven't promoted it as much as they should. Yeah, and it's truly worth watching. Um, we got to see six episodes, uh, my favorite of which being uh, Sunny's Edge. Uh, it's one of the slightly longer ones, but it just was really, really gorgeous animation. It's it's the the collection overall is the best animation I've ever seen. Uh, you thought Spider Man and the Spider Verse was great, so Spider Man and the Spider Verse is great. It's phenomenal. But when you try to do these new animation styles on like a larger scale, studios are like, uh, let's not experiment. Let's just go with what is safe. Yeah, which very... is why Spider Verse is so important in order of pushing the medium forward. Yes, but it's... when these are smaller short films you can do a lot more experimentation. Yeah, so it's very like innovative. Obviously, it probably cost a ton of money to do this, but I'm really glad that they invested in these very risky, ambitious ideas because all of them pay off so, so well. Mm -hmm. um, the mocap is the best I've ever seen. Uh, there's one that I've been describing as what uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 thinks it looks like. Um, it's it's just gorgeous. It's stunning. Yeah. Um, so I it's... was blown away. Yeah. Just incredible kind of stuff. So, uh, David Fincher and Tim Miller had like wanted to work on something together, and they had a list of things they wanted to do, and they wanted to pick a animated anthology series, and that's what they ended up going with. Uh, they are executive producers; they didn't direct any of this. Uh, they read the scripts. Uh, they went to these different animators, animated studios. They had seen their work online, and they say, uh, "We want to make these animated shorts." So they got eighteen of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they read the scripts. And they provide their feedback, but most of them are from the, you know, their own creations, uh, like their own studios and animators' creations. Yes. They showed us six. There's 18 of them. You can watch these on Netflix right now. Please do. They're Please amazing. Do. Um, but it's it's I saw them all, but I kind of, it's kind of obvious they picked the best ones for the film festival. Yeah, I think the the well, six the, that we saw were like all really great. really wonderful. Um, My favorite is the witness. I think the witness is like phenomenal. I think it like really gives Spider-Man and Spider-Verse a run for his animation style. Well, I think, like, they're they're pushing each other. Like, I'm, I'm glad that they both exist. And that also, I think it's really important that uh, these exist in our public because it kind of diverts the idea or subverts the idea that animation is for kids, uh, that it only exists at a medium to tell cute, fun kid stories that are kid, like, G-rated appropriate, whereas these are the exact opposite of that. They are hard R ratings. Um, but I think that it really, um, it proves that animation can be art and that it can be really advanced and for everyone. So I was, I was really impressed and... We can do a whole podcast on, like, the whole series, but we are... It was one of the best things I saw at the festival. Those six. Yes. Uh, so the next thing that we saw was... Uh, the next one I did I saw was The Art of Self-Defense, starring Jesse Eisenberg. You saw it as well. Yeah. It's basically uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Casey, gets robbed uh, one night. And mugged. Going, yeah. Mugged. Brutally mugged. And he wants to become, like, able to defend himself in case there's a future attack. But he goes to this uh, karate dojo... And he learns that the best way to defend himself is through, like, martial arts. Yes. Oh. But the most aggressive and... Uh, masculine. Yes. Like, just this, like, steeped in toxic masculinity um, mindset of that, where it becomes this 
this entire like paradigm for him. But what he learns is that once he's in the dojo, he quickly rises through the ranks. But in order to do that, he has to kind of embrace the sensei's uh, mentality, which is super hyper masculine, toxic, and just super aggressive. But as he goes on and progresses further and further and further, it's not what he seems, and eventually he just has to. Become, he becomes the thing that he fears and hates the most, honestly. Yes. Um, and it is not without this very, very pitch black sense of humor that I think, in my opinion, is what Yorgos Lentimos is going for, but doesn't get with his films. Um, this was far more successful to me. It was just like a really fun watch that was that was very bleak and and dark, but also um, had really like lovely, lovely cinematography and some very, very funny parts too. Yeah, uh, I think it does a really good job to like, toxic masculinity is such like a jokeable thing. Like you can talk it to, you go to like frat row and you see like the Brads and Chads and you're just like, this is a meme right now. So I guess it's really like this dark dry pan humor that kind of just really kind of nails it on the head. Mm -hmm. Really liked it. I was, yeah, I was a big fan. The next thing that I saw was uh, Booksmart. And I think Greg should probably, like, kick this one off because this was his, like, okay. favorite, favorite. <laughs> Booksmart was the best thing of the film festival. And it is, without question, truly a new coming-of-age classic. This is a raunchy teen comedy directed by Olivia Wilde. Stars... Caitlin Deaver and uh, Beanie Feldstein. Thank you. And it is just... It is basically... It, every review will say it, it's like super bad, which is true. But I think it is way better than super bad. Which wow. is like a huge <laughs> statement. But this is like... Just like... We saw this at the premiere and it can get... Like there's this thing called festival hype. Which is like you're seeing it at the world premiere. And you are engrossed in the whole experience you're engrossed with like the aura that's around the theater but this film was like electric and truly, i know that i truly wonderful and i don't think i'm like getting biased here because of how of like the festival atmosphere because i saw the high women before this which is which Had equally as much hype. we're gonna like drop this in real quick so you can see it on netflix <laughs> right now it's just super boring. It's like the opposite side of Bonnie and Clyde that no one really asked for. Yeah, it's like the man's version of, like, the government's version of Bonnie and Clyde, so... You can see it on Netflix. It's not worth... <laughs> I don't think it's worth talking about. No. It was one really boring. I almost fell asleep in it. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is like... Beach Bum was like... like a, For me, it was like a three out of five. And then I saw a highwayman. And you're waiting in like... We said before, you're waiting in like lines for hours. And I'm like, fuck. Should I just go to some of these smaller films... Is it worth seeing, like, waiting in line for two hours for these big headliners? And Booksmart is, like, so, so, so much worth it. Every scene is, is basically, the premise is, these two girls have worked their asses off in or high school to get good grades and get into good colleges. And what they learn is that all the kids who partied also got into good colleges. So they are feeling like they are left out of this experience of partying in high school and having these experiences that, like, kind of define that you look back upon and really favorable on. Yeah. So they decide to go to one final high school party. And this is the night before graduation. And the whole thing is like, it's not like a road movie, but it's like a one night kind of journey to journey. get to this party. point and, and kind of redefine who they are. But also it's their, their chance at romance and it's their chance to really like prove themselves as, as individuals to their peers. And, and like show that they're not going to be... The two friends are out. It's Amy and Molly. Molly, and they like kind of learn that like they're going to college and they're not going to be on the same wavelength anymore. And they're not going in the same direction. But 
it's like super bad because it's like a night of just event after event debauchery and then yeah. hilarity and just like crude humor but it's done so so well tastefully and well and and they, all the characters are so interesting and fun my favorite kind of like bit part role that kept popping up was billy lord as this like bananas rich girl who is just really into partying and is wild but she is this like bizarre, bizarre? You described her as an spiritual. Enigma. Yeah, yeah she's, she just keeps popping up. She's like the reoccurring. She's like a motif of humor. Yeah, and and it's so funny every single time. It never gets old. And I I just really loved all the character progression ah, and the all cast of the. Is so good. It's too. beautiful. Every cast it's... member is I like is iconic. Like yes. they are not just like these fill in roles. They are like they fit this the archetype, but they are holistically identifiable as like their own. Like that is the book smart character. Yes, and they all pay off so well in the end. It just folds back into itself really, really beautifully. Um, I I was blown away. Greg had to convince me to see it, and I I can't imagine it, it was really like defining of South by Southwest to me. Yeah, it best was... film of the film festival <laughs> right here. I was telling you, she's like one the next day. Uh, she was like, should I go see Beta or Booksmart? Because they're like, because Beta was playing like, would get out like an hour early. And I was like, if you get yourself an hour to go see Booksmart, you're not going to get in because it's going to be, it's at the Adam Theater, which is like a medium sized theater compared to like, it's yeah. like 400, yeah. I think. You convinced me to not do that and to just go completely invest in Booksmart. I'm so glad I did. Yeah, it was just really phenomenal. And I have a feeling that I'm going to be revisiting it a lot because... Yeah. It, yeah, you're right. It's an instant classic. I saw it twice at a film festival. <laughs> twice in a row. <laughs> Which is like, if the time at a film festival is very valuable because you're trying to like, see as many It's gold. It's, it's worth its weight in gold. And... So I was like, uh, I'll see it again twice. And if they had a third screening, I would have done it too. <laughs> it's yeah. that good. It was phenomenal. Which was even more hilarious considering what followed it up for <sighs> us. Which was Good Boys. Produced Every... by Seth Rogen. It was but not directed. Not directed. But it was the stinkiest bomb, I think, of the festival. Um, it was the story, a very similar kind of like kid romp story. Which is like this weird pairing because they're both, both Booksmart and Good Boys address the same theme. Except mm -hmm. they're on different kind of age lengths. One is a bunch of like kids that are like 10, 12-ish. I think they're yeah. like 12. Yeah, like they're pre-teen, prepubescent boys kind of living the same like wild debauchery but also the humor just is so misplaced just very lame it it kind of has the same gag over and over of these 12 year olds are doing a bunch of swears and like they're don't doing, understand yeah they're doing a lot of things outside of their age all this range. adult humor and it just was instantly very grating and oh and God. boring and and we had just kind of like, like i know you can't compare it because it's like it's like two different things but we had just gone out of book smart and then I mean, you go straight into something like good boys which we skipped sort of trust to go see yeah you can't feel a little bit of like FOMO from that. Yeah, again. FOMO being fear of missing out. We, like, we just like, it's just not good. The humor is so repetitive and it's just like they're screaming and yelling and like, it's just annoying. Ridiculous, yeah. I did, not a fan. Everyone around us was like having a great time. We're just sitting here like, we could have watched Booksmart again. <laughs> I'm thinking about Booksmart the whole time. Like, Booksmart does everything better than this. Yeah. So that wasn't our greatest, like, investment of time. But now we know. And then the next morning, we got to see another film that I thought was uh, one of the highlights of the festival. It was an early morning thing that we didn't really know anything about. And so we kind of walked in blind. Uh, this was Villains. And 
it was one of the most like just delightful and and fun little little um explorations it is about these two kind of modern uh bonnie and clyde pair played by mike monroe and bill skarsgård uh and they're just these like star-crossed lovers who are also criminals and they find themselves in the home um, well, they've broken and entered into the home of a uh, much more dangerous, much more unhinged uh, older couple who kind of are these foils to themselves. One of the the older couple being uh, played by Jeffrey Donovan, who is just this like slick, southern drawling, just so fun. He's perfect for this role. Uh, it's got a lot of great humor and some really, really good emotional payoff of these characters. Uh, you can tell that the directors were really invested in the story and in these arcs and uh, in their collaboration with uh, the set design and the costumes and, and everything just worked so well together for me um, that it was just like a really fun and worthwhile time. So uh, I enjoyed Villains a lot. I was like a little bit mixed on it. Again, it has this modulation between humor and like thriller. Uh, but if I had to pick best performances, Jeffrey... Donovan's performance as like this southern like but very like very 60s. refined 60s it's like the, the whole house is like, has this 60s 70s design to it yeah can we say who they are like what their ulterior motive is um no we'll skip it yeah they they are villains yeah basically <laughs> like the villains are the villains who break into this house they get usurped by like these other villains yes I had a lot of fun uh the next film that we got to see was Little Monsters which is a uh, Lupita Nyong'o vehicle with uh, Josh Gad and... Um, Some other random Australian dude. Yeah. So it's about uh, this man who kind of is into his nephew's preschool teacher. And so he takes them on a... Or he goes as a chaperone onto their little field trip, uh, which is interrupted by a giant horde of bloodthirsty zombies. And it's it's fun. It's all right. For a zombie film, it's hard to be original, but I feel like they had some good zombie designs. It was nice and bloody. It's fine. More, it was middle the more of the I road. move away from it, the more I don't care, care for it Care so at much. All. Yeah. Pete great in it. Yeah. Um, but Josh Gad is overacting, and then the main lead, who you're supposed to like relate with the most, is like not bring it to the table in my opinion no so uh, i can pass on that one pretty quickly it does feature hansen's mbop so it gets a little bit of redemption right there for me and um next was building the american dream yeah so this little known doc yeah this was actually a local documentary about the um un undocumented uh workers in texas who are being exploited by wage theft and unsafe working conditions uh, all fighting for their right to a 10-minute break for their workday in the wake of uh, multiple workers' deaths and sicknesses and, and injury. And uh, it was a really moving and personal documentary um, about human rights, but also about these, kind of the tenacity and, and solidarity of these communities uh, banding together. And I thought it was really well done. Um, Chelsea Hernandez is a up-and-coming doc director and and i was i was really impressed i liked it a lot yeah it's you, like texas is like a very austin texas specifically is a very booming economy mm -hmm. uh one of the fastest growing cities in the nation and i think what this what a lot of people don't realize is that it's built on the backs of like these undocumented workers who 
much of the film is based around this one vote in the city for the fight of getting uh, a 10 minute break for every and, and water for four, four hours. hours of work yeah which it's is like abs- heartbreaking it's absurd because some people wouldn't even bring a vote to the table for it they were just saying we're not going to vote on it yeah it's, it's pretty like it's pretty like shocking I mean, people die like the whole thing is based around or not based around this one guy but it's it's like spurred on by this one dude who has like a heat stroke from just working Yes, um, and I think it's really eye-opening. And again, it was another film that I think was really valuable to watch with a Texan audience and kind of uh, have it be so familiar and so important to that community specifically. So yeah, like one of the one of the a good aspect of a good doc is kind of like either exposing something where you're like, I can't believe this is happening, or I can't believe this happened, and it really does kind of fit in that mold of like shocking. Like in the shocking in the negative way, where it's not exploitative. It's very. um, This is not shocking, as in like three identical strangers. It's just shocking in that I can't believe this is still going on, and that we can't. Yeah, it's also one of those that makes you really want to rally towards change politically and socially. So yeah, and um, and like looking on Letterboxd, I'm like, there's no poster for it. There's no reviews for it. I'm like, how did this not get more attention? I was really big fan of it um yeah i i will be fighting for this one and then the next midnighter that we saw that night was called snatchers uh and the premise of that is this uh teenage girl has uh sex with her boyfriend for the first time and overnight is suddenly pregnant and gives birth to this uh wild alien thing that begins ravaging her hometown and and killing people and uh just running amok and it's the job of her and her best friend to kind of uh survive and and make it through this crazy time um and i thought it was good it had some really cool um uh practical effects on it that were that were fun it was a midnighter for sure so it's very pulpy and um and bloody and, and kind of Gross out at times, but uh, it played all right. It's fine. Yeah. I got to go to the Alamo and eat, so. Yeah. <laughs> Never a bad time. Uh, I um, saw Greener Grass after that, which is like this very surreal kind of humor. Okay. I don't know how to describe this. So basically, you're in the suburban town. It's I'm trying to find the words to describe this. It's a very weird thing. So you're in the suburban town, and everything is off. Everything's off. Everyone's wearing braces. Everyone's talking to each other in like this weird kind of surrealist aspect. I would best way it's very Lynchian. Mm-hmm. I would describe it as take the surrealist elements of like a racer head, drop it in the setting of of something like uh, Blue Velvet, which is that suburban kind of area. Yeah. And then drizzle it with like SNL skits. And that's what you <laughs> get. It's a that's a great of, description. It's literally it's basically it's the only way I can describe it because it's so everything's so bonkers. And it's just these series of skits about this woman trying to, like, I guess, break with identity, I guess. Cause okay. It's, it's like, that's the underlying theme. It's not really developed. The whole selling point is this how weird and fucking bizarre it is. Um, for example, one time they're having a conversation, and one lady's like, oh, I just had this, my baby. Look at it. It's, like, 12 months old. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And then the lady's like, oh, do, do you want this baby? And she's like... <laughs> Yeah, I'll take your baby. <laughs> and then they take the baby. Now the lady has this other person's baby. Another sequence sees, like, the, 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 this dad is, like, he puts, like, this filtration in the pool. And he's, like, taste this water. And she tastes it. And it's, like, tastes pretty good. He's, like, that's the pool water. And now it's, I, and the guy from the rest <laughs> of the film, one of the online jokes is that he brings, like, this gallon chug of water. Kind of like you see with, like, these people 
in your classroom. Like, so you yeah, like, like a, a running cow. gag of this you bring, guy. <laughs> bringing like this pool filtered water and only he's drinking it. And then it just goes on like that forever. All these super, like, it's all surreal. It's the most surreal thing I saw there. That being said, I thought it was like purely, slightly just okay. I feel like it yeah. was originally based on like these, uh, a short film of a similar thing. It's just a bunch of sketches that kind of don't really connect together, but. Okay, yeah. That's, that's just what it is. Yeah, you kind of have to have like a, a taste for it, I imagine too. So maybe not for everyone, but it might be just like a fun, a fun watch if you're feeling yeah. open. It was to one it. of the films I was falling asleep in. Oh, okay. there's I, there's one for the listener at home. There's always one film each day where you're like falling asleep. Yeah, didn't have enough coffee beforehand. You're getting up at like nine every morning oh no i was waking up at six thirty to work <laughs> you had to go to work I, and then you staying get, up till two <laughs> yeah you're getting up at like super early hours to go to like 11 a.m screening that you have to wait for at least like an hour ahead of time and then you're going to bed you're going to like a midnighter uh you're basically going from film to film to film to film as much as you can and you're like getting very little sleep so there's like if you're seeing like four to five films a day there's going to be one that just gets the short end of the stick yeah and it's usually the ones that are not the greatest because you're not engaged enough to stay awake yeah, it happens. That's just how it works with festival and festival burnout. But overall, like most films were engaging and it, and it stayed pretty manageable. Um, I think the next thing we saw together was Adopt a Highway. Do you want to talk about <laughs> Hell yeah, I want to talk about Adopt a Highway. <laughs> this is my second favorite film of the festival. Wasn't getting, I, a lot of people were saying it's like this cutesy kind of like indie film. I'm like, this is great. I don't know what you guys saw. I thought this was like a phenomenal kind of redemption movie do you want to say what it's about it's about so ethan Hawke's character uh basically gets let out of a three strikes law that is overturned so the yeah. three strikes law is like if you do three crimes you're put in jail for a longer period of time so he's been in jail for something like 20 years 21 years and he emerges after the law gets re like rescinded and re repealed yes yeah so he emerges this totally different man who kind of has to start all over, has no clue what all these like modern... Has no idea what a cell phone is, has no idea how to use the internet. Yeah. And he basically finds, one day at his job, he finds a baby in a dumpster and decides to take care of it, which is like running the risk of his parole um, because... Uh, That's illegal. <laughs> yeah, to take a baby out of a dumpster and just start raising yourself. But it's so endearing because and it's... And heart-wrenching. Because he's a person who's been cast aside by society and now he's just like, he has trying to pick up the pieces because he didn't get a second chance and now he's giving this baby a second chance. Yeah, and he, he is this very, like, generous and, and sympathetic character, not only to this baby, but also to these other characters that drift in and out of his life. And it's so sad, too, because when you see him going to the internet cafe trying to, like, trying to contact his parents... And he goes into this internet cafe and the guy's like laughing at him because he doesn't know what the internet is. And you see him struggle to use the internet and you realize just how, how much has been like taken from him. And it's yeah. so, so just sad to see like something like this happen. And then this whole experience of him taking care of this, this baby and like how he wants to give someone a second chance where he was not given a second chance. And the ending is just so heartwarming. I love it so much. It's beautiful. Directed by Logan Marshall Green. Yeah, of, who did upgrade fame last year? Do you remember upgrade with like <laughs> not the director but the actor? Yes, the main the star. Cyborg. Yes, I, I, it was a total surprise for me. Uh, I mean, I love Ethan Hawke. I think he's one of the greatest actors alive. We didn't even talk about. We didn't talk. So we went to oh, a panel. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to a panel of Ethan Hawke and Jason, and Jason Blum, Blum, who was Jason Blum's a producer on this film. So yeah, it's one of the few films that Blumhouse has produced. 
That is not a horror film. And I'm really excited about that. I think uh, Mr. Blum himself described it really well as kind of being kind of an intro to different sides of cinema. So how he described it was, oh, if you liked Get Out and these other films that they've done over the past year, well, maybe you want to try this, mm-hmm. Adopt a Highway. And, and it was an interesting idea of getting people to explore other genres and connecting them with indie film that uh, they otherwise maybe wouldn't have access to or interest in. Um, and I had no clue that Ethan Hawke and Jason Blum were best buddies for the past, like, 30 years. Yeah, they're, like, best friends. They originally met because Jason Blum was dating Ethan Hawke's ex-girlfriend, and they were producing a theater play, right? Yeah. Yeah, they just have this really wonderful chemistry and camaraderie, and it was really interesting listen to the two talk in retrospect about their friendship and their career. Ethan made Jason cry, which was uh, <laughs> not something that we would plan for the day. And Ethan is just, see. like, the most insightful... Like, this is a panel that I was really... Like, some panels more so or less that you kind of don't get as much... Like, we went to that first critics panel... Yeah, and it so was... We went, it was, like, it's fine, but, like, if you had read the, the opening book, like, the book that they the gave you... got the same information. You got the same information. Um, that panel, because that's also a panel that was, like, also in front of us that we didn't get enough time to... I digress. Some of the panels can be, like, not up your alley. Mm-hmm. This one was just, like, so insightful because you got to see things... I thought we're, like, oh, we're gonna get some, like, horror news. No. Ethan Hawke is, like, the biggest cosmic brain I've ever seen. <laughs> this dude is, like, always thinking, and he's thinking in terms of just, like, the most complex things. Makes me want to go back and watch Blaze and give it a second chance. Yeah, he's uh, a fascinating man who is is very invested in his art and in his career and in um, just in life in general. And I, I thought he was a really fascinating listen, so... yeah. And he really does, just going off, like, Ethan Hawke really carries Adopt the Highway in this way that... Oh, yeah. Like, Logan Marshall Green has this really kind of, like, subdued, not like, oh, it's not over-directed, but it's kind of just, like, this placent kind of, like, shooting style where it's just, like... He lets Ethan do his thing. Ethan is, like, carrying this movie. He does a great job in it. Yeah. So many superlatives can be said. One of my top five of the festival, for sure. Um, the next film that we saw was, uh, a, actually, it was the work-in-progress version of an upcoming film called Stuber, uh, starring Kamel Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. It's about, Kamel is this kind of, like, timid, passive Uber driver who suddenly has to drive around this, like, very violent and, uh, over-the-top detective cop guy who's on the tail of some criminal, played by Dave Bautista, um, the criminal not played by... No, the, the cop, cop is, is, excuse me. And it's this very, like, slapsticky, uh, like, odd couple comedy. It's a buddy it, cop movie. Exactly. It had some parts that landed pretty well. It's I, a work in progress, but it's like, you would say, assume it's like 85% close yeah, to being done. Yeah. Maybe some re-editing. Yeah. I think they probably played it so that they could get audience gauge on... Uh, Reactions to certain comedy. jokes, and whether they cut jokes or reinsert new other ones. Yeah, and I think a lot of filmmakers try to do that at South By with these work in progresses because the audience is so receptive and so engaged at South By. But yeah, it was okay. It was it was an interesting watch. Um, I'm curious to now watch the finished product when it hits theaters and see if there were any major changes made other than just like vanity, you know, like color grading and, and uh, credits and everything. But um, Probably passed on the screen. Yeah, we'll see. It, I can't critique <laughs> it's a work in progress so you don't know what the final cut is, but like... It was interesting. It was a it was a neat 
thing to see a work in progress film. Then the next film that uh, I saw was called uh, Body at Brighton Rock. It's kind of this horror film, uh, survival thriller. Um, I won't talk too much about it because it wasn't particularly amazing. It was just about this like young, uh, like forest stranger in training girl who gets lost in the woods, finds a dead body and has to stay with it alone for the night so that she can be rescued in the morning. Uh, there may or may not be supernatural elements or just like dangerous nature at play. It was alright. I, I wouldn't particularly like say that it stood out in comparison to a lot of the rest of the film, but it was uh, it was definitely like a midnighter's watch. I saw Yes God Yes instead. Karen Maines, uh, is it her directorial feature debut? Feature debut. She had done the short film for Yes God Yes before. Yes. We had seen her on a panel with the Alicia female Alicia Malone, yes. Everyone go follow Alicia Malone. She's the go. best film critic and film scholar just going right now. Yeah, that was <laughs> one of the panels. Also, short antidote, we went to her panel, The Female Gaze, and they didn't kick us out after that panel. So if you went to The Female Gaze panel, you could sit in your seat for the Ethan Hawke, Jason Blum panel afterwards, yeah. which there was a huge line for outside, which I was shocked they didn't, like, vacate us yeah, from the female gaze and make us wait in line for Jason Blum. So if you, you have to basically stick in line. Yeah, and we were in second row seats and we just had like the best, best view in the house and it was a little bit, uh, it felt wrong, but it was, it was still very exciting. Yeah, I would have been fucking pissed if I was on the outside <laughs> and I figured out that the people before us got to stay in. Cause you can't do that for, imagine going to like see something like, I don't know, The Highwayman and then just getting to sit in your seat at the Paramount Theater for Booksmart. Yeah. So it, wouldn't it was kind of a fun little cheat that we got, but then we also got to listen to like Alicia Malone and I and, and we got her to death. Karen, so Karen Maine and Karen Maine. So tell which me about is Karen why Maine's that film. Stuck with <laughs> uh, it is basically in, kind of in the same vein of uh, Miseducation Karen Post, but not as serious. Mm -hmm. It is basically this young girl played by Natalia Dyer mm -hmm. of Stranger Things fame, and she basically is going to this Catholic school where she is taught that, that sexuality is only for the purpose of like reproduction. Mm -hmm. It's only supposed to be through a man and a woman. Uh, you're not supposed to have sex if uh, it's for reproduction purposes and you can't masturbate. And one day, she basically it's basically her, like, her sexual awakening and her mm -hmm. first encounter with like sexuality. And she does this through like an AOL chat room where, like, this dude starts sending her, like, basically sex her over the thing, and she doesn't know what anything is, so she's like, um, the dude's like, I think he says something like tossing her salad or something like that. Right. He says something that he she doesn't understand, and then she's just like, he sends her nudes, and he's just like, oh, turn away. Um, but then she goes on this four-week uh, retreat, and on that retreat, she starts, like, coming, after that sexual experience, she starts, like, kind of having more and more and she's trying to resist the urge of like like she's trying to suppress it because she thinks she's gonna go to hell pretty much yeah yeah it i didn't catch this one but i do plan on seeing it um because it just sounds like a really interesting exploration of like female like individuality and liberation and like mm -hmm. um like female pleasure as being this uh thing that is debated within yourself so and it just sounds like an overall pretty well-made movie so yeah. it kind of it does the same thing in the Cameron post in the sense that you're going to like this religious catholicism uh -huh. kind of retreat and it's kind of pointing out the ironies of it yeah but it doesn't have the bite of anything of like Cameron post which gets into like conversion camps and has a really like strong message. really really darker yes god yes is more or less like these people and like these like this, she also has kind of like this scarlet letter-esque thing where people think she's like a slut but she's really not because it rumor goes around that she's tossed someone's salad and she doesn't even know what it is but she gets shamed for it but the dude that um 
is that responsible for that. Gets a lot of social currency out of it. So it kind of commentates on that kind of gender difference and, yeah. and how women are, are treated like, like they're treated like for like the sexuality of women is treated with much more of a blind eye and shamefulness. Whereas someone with a man, it's just like, it's like, Oh, he scored or whatever. Yes, exactly. The film after that, that we saw was called stuffed. It's a documentary following a bunch of uh, modern day taxidermists and the art of taxidermy and uh, kind of their philosophy around it uh, and and the reason that they've chosen to go into this very specific, very niche field. I thought it was also delightful, uh, full of just these very like interesting uh, off-the-wall characters who, yeah, like they're exactly the sort of people that you would imagine being uh, involved in taxidermy, but it's a very like honest and fun and colorful look at this this craft. I really really liked how it was shot. I thought that it had a wonderful progression of small stories being told about each of these people and it was just really fun and, and interesting and something that I otherwise probably wouldn't have looked into or, or understood. Yeah, stuff is just a really well-made beautiful documentary. Uh, kind of shines a light on something you don't really think about, which is kind of nice of most documentaries, I would say. It's very humanizing and, and unique, and I thought that that was a really fun moment of South By. Mm -hmm. So uh, later that night, we got to see Tread, which is a documentary about a man who was living in this very rural town and who one day had enough of the world and uh, built this giant bulldozer that he reinforced with steel, basically turning it into a giant tank and destroyed huge, huge buildings and, and tons of this town to kind of get his revenge on this company and the people in the town who had kind of screwed him over, ending in his um, suicide. Didn't and kill anyone though. No, he... Surprisingly did not kill anyone in his rampage. But he cost them millions of dollars in repairs and in damage and yeah. everything. And um, It's done with reenactments. Uh, it's got some... Most of it's something like reenactments. If you've ever seen like like any A&E reenactment show, it's done through that kind of thing. I thought that the their actual footage that they had of it was really fascinating and interesting. And I thought that the reenactments were kind of, they kind of diluted it and uh, made it a little less powerful. But I'm not a fan of reenactments really ever in docs. But it had some really interesting interviews and it showed a few different perspectives of who this man was and who the people around him were and why he may have done this. I thought it was interesting. It wasn't anything to write home about, but it was... This was the film that got the short end of the stick. Mostly because it was playing at 11 p.m. Yeah. And I was falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. I saw Francis Ferguson the next morning. It was kind of pretentious. Rather not talk about it. Okay, that's fair. Full skip on it. We're already running over an hour, so I'm going <laughs> to full skip on that one. Uh, I don't think you need to see it. That's basically my thing. Uh, I saw The Day Shall Come. It's from the director of Four Lions. It's about this about this dude who has his own little kind of like cult. He's cult. like a spiritual leader in a city, right? Yeah, you could say he's like, and the FBI tries to like frame him as like this radical leader of like laundering alt gun arms. This is one that also kind of got the short end of the stick because this is the one on that day. Every, I remember I said before, where each, some, some film. One film a day is going to be kind of, yeah. This was that film, and it was like, don't remember a lot of it. It was very 
supposed to be playing into humor. Jim Gaffigan's in it. It's fine by me. Okay. Uh, uh, if Dante was here, he could tell you more about it because I think he was more into it than I was. Yeah, we went with our friend who also attended some of the festival. So next one. I went to Girl on the Third Floor. It's another horror film, right? Yeah, it's very evoking of The Shining where this guy kind of, he gets a house and the house Like is, a fixer-upper, right? Yeah, but it's like, it's so clearly involved with like The Shining where he gets his house, the house starts like coming in on him because there's like this girl. It's like... But it's like very influenced by The Shining. It's got like these long kind of drifting shots that go close to the floor like you see with like the steady cam shots and The Shining. Okay. To Midnighter. Yeah, this is a long stretch of like the last four films I had seen in a row are just like very just not sold on any of them. Which then leads us into one that was the exact opposite of that. Huge home run. Total surprise out of left field. The Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh my god. Here's the antidote for this one. This one is after me seeing the f like four really just kind of bland films. We're waiting in line. It's 11 p.m. This is its third screening of it. And this random dude starts coming up and down the line with like coffee at 11 p.m. And he's like, you always want some coffee? You want some coffee? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to take, you know, a drink from a stranger. So no, I'm not going to do that. That guy was actually the director. Yeah. <laughs> being like just appreciative of people coming out. His name was Tyler. He had made a film. Him and this guy named Mike Schwartz had made a film about this kid with Down syndrome is stuck in the side of this retirement home. Where it's like... Yeah, he's a ward of the state. He has nowhere else to live. And they believe that he needs round the clock attention and care because it's it's this like like ableist idea of like oh th because this man has down syndrome he can't really live on his own and he's a huge fan of wrestling yeah he gets this saltwater redneck saltwater redneck is all these vhs's hand. of uh this wrestler from the 80s that promises of this wrestling academy and he wants to go to this wrestling academy down in florida yes it was in florida yes no no you know, shia's character is going to florida okay he's going to somewhere in like Georgia-ish. Yes. So he breaks out of the retirement home and goes on this odyssey where he meets Shia LaBeouf's character. Who had just currently like burned, literally burned all bridges with his fishing company. He's fishing outside of like the licensing that he gets to fish. He's in poaching area. essentially. Yes. And he's stealing from other people's like crab pots. And so he is on the run as well in a way. Uh, the they... two meet up and they're like this super unlikely pair, but they create this like kindred friendship where Shia like realizes that like He's got to fulfill the dream of Zach's character. Zach is the person with the boy with Down syndrome. He wants to fulfill the dream. But all the while, while Zach has escaped, he's being pursued by Dakota Johnson, who is the person in charge of his care. Yeah, she's like the caretaker who's been sent to bring him back home. Uh, but she cares for him a lot. But she realized the way in which she's been caring for him hasn't exactly been in his best interest. And so I thought it was a really interesting look at folks who have Down syndrome who kind of want to be more independent in their lives that wasn't very patronizing or um, looking down on them. It's one of the highest, if you go to the letterbox <laughs> list, the letterbox list of compilation of all the lineups for South by Southwest, it is currently ranked the fifth highest with a 3.8. Booksmart is up there number three and then Apollo 11 is like up there as well. Dakota Johnson has many ways that most of the audience which is that like they she comes to this realization that a label shouldn't be like limiting Zach's dreams and hopes and what he can do and can't do and she comes to realize that through like seeing how happy he is and like what they're doing with Tyler's name of Shia LaBeouf's character as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So Shia LaBeouf is... He's treating him as just like... A normal human being. Yeah, like he, he just wants to have respect. And, and I thought it was a very like interesting and, and, and 
well-meaning perspective. And the film doesn't have a distribution deal yet. I can't how? believe it. Yeah, but um, with Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson, the film doesn't have a distribution deal. Yeah, and they're and they're it won an audience award too. It will. It will. Um, this film had four, five screenings at South by Southwest. It had the three <laughs> scheduled ones. Then we went... Did we go to the Buzz one or we went to the third one? We went to the third one that was happening right before the Buzz screening, which was like an additional screening that was added because it was so popular. And then after that, it won one of the audience awards, so it got a fifth Another screen. one, yeah. That sold out as well. Yeah, it is just beautifully shot. It's really, really uh, unique. It kind of feels like a modern, like, Tom Sawyer type story. Um, That's what they said. is like a Mark, that Mark Twain kind of inspired it. They're like these two people... They literally have a raft and they're going down through the south. Floating down the river. And yeah, just like an eclectic cast that really pays off very well. And it, it makes like this kind of like backwoods, backwater community suddenly very beautiful and, and meaningful. And yeah, I was I was very surprised by how much I liked it. I'll be so fucking pissed if it doesn't get a distribution <laughs> deal. I will personally distribute Everyone it. Everyone needs to see the story of the peanut butter falcon. Yeah. The next morning, I got to see uh, The Gift, The Journey of Johnny Cash, which is a documentary about uh, the entire life, birth to death, of Johnny Cash. And it's a interesting documentary because it's a lot of archive footage and photos of him throughout his life, as well as audio testimonies and, and stories by family, friends, fellow artists, paired with audio recordings of him. And it really uh, emphasizes the power of the gift being his voice and the power of a oral history. How, what did you take on it? I saw one of the best things about Southwide is that you can hear everyone else's conversations. You mm -hmm. can hear, like when you're waiting Eavesdrop. in line. <laughs> Eavesdrop. One guy said he really liked it. I didn't go see it, but how, what did you think? I thought it was very good. It was a very well-made documentary, and I, I feel like I, I wish they had had more of his actual music in it, because I'm sure it was expensive to uh, license, and yeah. even with permissions from the family, it would be still uh, pretty expensive to do that, but uh, I liked it a lot. I love Johnny Cash. I thought it was a really worthwhile and um, worthy of him and his story. Uh, and then what was the next thing you saw? I saw a four song. This is also the last day. Mm -hmm. you know, so I didn't get... Man, if I didn't have these three fucking projects for my <laughs> for damn school... Finishing up your quarter. If I didn't have these three projects, I would have done seems so much more. Yeah. There, this is the day where I was like, I need to like actually get some shit done. Finish I had some, I had some, This was sad. This is Saturday and yep. like, I had things to do on Sunday. I had to get some shit done. Mm -hmm. So I only saw two films on the final day, which uh, I saw Four Sama, which is... An incredible documentary about the Syrian civil war. It basically starts with this documentarian, but she basically starts when the, when the revolution breaks out, mm -hmm. and it goes all the way to when she when she ends up fleeing. And it's done in this narration where she's addressing her daughter with the hopes that one day she will see the video. Okay. And it kind of discusses in like this way where almost like a super dire dreary experience where she's like the war is lasting so long it's been going on since 2011 we don't see like we don't know the end in sight you literally go from seeing this whole city in contact with full of life of trying to like enact this revolution to get uh Bashir al-Assad out of there and then you go straight to just an entire city in ruins and it is just like devastating and the personal address that the director is giving is to her daughter and she's trying to like come to terms with the fact that like maybe not in my lifetime that this i will see something like this country she says she speaks very tenderly about her country she's staying because she wants to see it come better mm -hmm. um one of the themes in the film is that she's staying in the country because she wants it to be better even though she has like kids 
the kids become like this focal point of the film is that mm. how this is affecting the kids and how these kids live through like yeah but she's staying there because she it's like it's like her duty she's staying uh. there to document her husband is a doctor who's staying there to help the people who are injured there and it has just like these really shocking kind of footage there's one scene where a baby's given birth and i don't want to spoil anything because it's just like the most powerful thing I've seen all year in terms of just like sheer rawness and like just emotional thing. Like you could hear people sniffling in the theater. It's like it's a two-hour documentary, which is long for a doc. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually docs are like an hour and a half or less, um, and it's just like everything is so pertinent. Like it is very hard watch, but it is entirely necessary because you don't. People really don't. Syrian civil war is very hard to understand from the outside, right? There are many factions, many governments backing different factions. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for so long that it's often like forgotten. But seeing something like this, it kind of reminds you of, like, the human elements that are underlying the whole right. thing. yeah. So going in, encompassing, I think I've been going on many sub, like, sub-thoughts of sub-thoughts that tie into different things. But the narration is done in a way where the mom, the director, the mom and director, both the same thing, um, is, like, coming to terms with, like, she has to flee because she's given, like, an ultimatum that makes her leave eventually. And I hopefully someday her child will come up see the film and understand what's going on and like how they can like basically make the country anew through the children even though yeah. they've like suffered through it all yeah better their world okay very well done one of the best docs up there i think it's i would say it's better than beto mm-hmm. i don't think i would say i think I, it is better than beto in my opinion um and i think it's like a very necessary kind of watch. And it won the Doc Award at South by, correct? Yeah, that's why I saw it. I yeah. saw it at the, uh, the jury, one of the jury screenings. That's amazing. That's really cool. And yeah. Our, what did you see that day? Uh, I just saw, that was the day oh, you that saw I went Beto. to Johnny Cash, and then I went to Beto, Which won an audience award, right? I think so. Yeah, I think it was an audience favorite, for anyone who, makes sense. For anyone who doesn't know, last day is basically all the theaters get converted into, except for the paramount which is the main headliner one yeah all the theaters get converted into like rerun screenings of like the best of the festival yeah the Most jury popular. and audiences yeah yeah so we get to see a bunch of makeup ones yeah uh and then we got to see closing night which was the new remake of pet cemetery you you can talk about this one yeah so i hold uh stephen king's original novel pet cemetery and the 1989 version of the film by mary lambert very near and dear to my heart and so i had a lot of hype going into this new one and it still managed to Uh, disappoint me at a level that I didn't think was possible. It's a very shallow and baseless rendition of a a story that I think has a lot of really deep and human meaning to it. It addresses grief and familial bonds and the duties of parents to their children and I thought that it just really fell flat uh, story-wise. I thought they made some really ambitious decisions Um, So it changes one major point in the plot uh, that kind of then kicks off the rest of the film in a major way, but it also makes some minor changes to uh, some of the characters' backstories that I thought worked really well. I thought it was way scarier this time. Uh, one, One element in particular was done quite well, and it still had the core idea of Pet Cemetery, and it it got why... A lot of it was scary, but I thought that overall the narrative world that they had built was very empty and very underdeveloped. And uh, they cut certain elements that I thought left a lot of the exposition hanging. 
and made things less interesting. Overall, it just felt like such a, a meaningless remake for vanity's sake. I have some beef with the idea of uh, quote-unquote elevated horror. I think it's a totally moot term. I think... For, for those that listening at home, during the Q&A, they had used the term elevated, elevated horror, horror to describe the film. Yes, uh, the directors did. And, and it's just something that is meaninglessly distinguishing oneself from uh, previous iterations of horror, previous subcategories of like the slasher genre within horror and and certain types of horror that aren't mainstream and never will be and I thought it was just a very uh, pompous and self-righteous idea and ambition especially when it comes to Stephen King to call yourself elevated horror above Stephen King is kind of ridiculous and yeah just the whole idea of this remake felt pointless and and kind of depressing at certain points but I mean it did have some redeeming elements and I thought that the horror itself worked relatively well it's a mixed bag it might be fun for those who are kind of like excited by the idea of Stephen King but aren't too concerned with plot because it misses a lot of what makes the like the original concept of Pet Cemetery unique and and in an interesting world uh, it's just missing. So you have the perspective of having read the book and seeing the original before. Yes. I have the perspective of having neither before. <laughs> so I was seeing this as completely new to me. I had seen a certain of the changes, some of the changes you had mentioned. Right. I was aware of in the film. And you could tell by the audience's reaction to when those changes were. And I was like, oh, there it is. Uh, but for me, I thought it was like a fine horror film the first half is like really totally messy all over the place but the last half is very consistent in terms of like this once the scares start and that's when i think it's really kind of well done because it's like consistent and knows what it wants to be but there are a few elements they added like that um you see in the marketing all over the place this these kids that are doing this parade the procession the procession to the pet cemetery uh that's all new it's in there once yeah. And it's, it's not even, like, brought up again. It's really interesting, like, visual design that I think could have had a lot of potential to be cool and scary and part of the overall, like, larger arcing story. And it never really comes to fruition. They don't even come back or anything. Yeah. So There's, it's, uh, if it's we, could, of... we could spoiler talk it, I could talk about, like, why I thought they would come back, but they don't. Yeah. Also, the fact that the pet cemetery is used to, like, bury the surrounding towns pets from like the road is like completely lost on me yeah so i didn't figure that out until i wa i ended up watching the original movie and uh, then cl things clicked into place yeah so some things some things or i think after having seen the mary lambert films uh i think there are some things that are done better and i think i would have appreciated more had i known what changes they were making but as a purely like i guess uh like agnostic kind of indifferent experience with no ties to anything else I think it's like a three out of five movie. Okay. And I think that's generous, but that's having been a diehard fan of the yeah, originals. You got, you got a Mondo poster out of it. Yeah. Um, but as a closing night, I think it was, uh, it wasn't my favorite, but it was kind of just this, this 
closing of the festival that I yeah, think Yeah, I didn't get to see St. Francis. It's okay. Yeah, you can't make them all. And in a festival like that where it's such a breakneck pace, yeah. um, it's it's hard to do and you're always going to have to sacrifice some things. Especially but... when you have three projects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're working. The only thing I'm regretting is this festival is not seeing more because of these damn projects. <laughs> so before we end, we're going to do a couple segments here. We're going to talk about films that I missed. And I want to see in the future. Okay. We're going to talk about our favorite films. Mm -hmm. And then any like kind of closing anecdotes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Megan cannot comment on films that she missed because she is currently working at SIF. I'm so working at an upcoming festival that may or may not be featuring, you know, carryovers from South by. I, I just can't comment. And we don't want to break her NDA. So <laughs> uh, she's excluded from this one. There are were films that we didn't get to see, as we mentioned before. Ones that I was talking about are like Her Smell, Olympic Dreams. Uh, Wild Rose, Alice, St. Francis. Those are a few of the films I kind of wanted to see. Olympic Dreams had done. It's yeah. actually shot on site at the uh, Pyeongchang uh, 2018 Olympic Games. I was interested in seeing it, but I didn't make the screening. I was like 30 minutes late for it, so I didn't get to see it. Uh, Her Smell is supposed to be very good. St. Francis as well. That's about it for me, I think. Yeah, there's always some that I wish I had seen. I missed Apollo 11, and I'm really sad that I didn't get to see that. Um, Which is like one of the ones you can comment on because it's already out in theaters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's already got distribution, and it's playing uh, wide. But yeah, that's one I wish I would seen. I'm sure others will eventually pick up distribution or, or maybe uh, make their way to other festivals. It's hard to say. Yeah. So now that we talk about... Ones we didn't get to talk about here, but have some potential. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to favorite films that you saw at South by Southwest. I think both of us agree on a number one, and that is Booksmart. Hell yeah. Booksmart. <laughs> I cannot wait for Memorial Day weekend so everyone can see fucking Booksmart. I want everyone to go see it. I think it's it's going to be like, big. it's going to be big. It's well, I don't know if I'm making much money, but it's going to be like everyone to be like saying, God, I hope so. Fuck Booksmart. Yeah. It's brilliant. Uh, then um, my number two, I would think I'd say... Originally, I had Love, Death, and Robots, but I saw the rest of them on TV at home, and I'm like, they clearly curated the best six out of those. So I dropped a little bit uh, for those, just those six. Yeah, they're really, really phenomenal. No, I'd still say, like, definitely, like, go... It's on Netflix, so you have nothing yeah. to lose. It's easy. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. My next, my number two, or three, they're both on the same kind of plane, is Adopt a Highway or Peanut Butter Falcon, and then For Sama, I'd say. Go see. Yeah, and I thought Villains was also really wonderful. Um, if you have a way of finding the uh, the documentary Building the American Dream, please watch that. It's really good. Stuffed is great. Yeah, it was just kind of this, like, embarrassment of riches. Like, there was a lot that I just really, really loved. Yeah, there was, like, above the line and below the line in terms of recommended and do not watch. I wouldn't say there's any mix in between for me. Very oh, yeah. seldom. Maybe, like, for me, you, I would say Villains is, like, because you liked it a lot, I was not... I was As like, fond, yeah. Yeah, I would say maybe that's one of the in-betweens. Same thing like Beach Bum or like Pet Cemetery. Definitely, Booksmart is by far and away number one. Then Adopt a Highway, Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, and Forsama. With like special honorable mentions for Art of Self-Defense and Yes, God, Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just like a really wonderful way to like kick off the year in film. And I look forward to seeing a lot of these films getting their like wide releases and getting um, acclaim and, and attention because a lot of them are really well-deserving. Yeah, oh God, it was just such a great experience at the film festival. Yeah, it was a wonderful way to see these films and see their world premieres and be with an audience that is so enthusiastic. Okay, any final antidotes? Because you have one. <laughs> yeah, I got a little fun one. 
So when we were at the Booksmart premiere, there was Santa Gold there. And Santa Gold was sitting in, like, you will sit in close proximity to a many number of celebrities. If you go to these screenings, the way the screenings are set up is that they always, they have, like, consistently, you have Q&As afterwards. Especially if you go to, like, the first or yeah. second screening yeah. of them. They always bring in uh, the directors, directors, stars, anyone who's anyone. They brought out, like, the whole cast for Booksmart. But they had Santa Gold there, who has music in the movie for Booksmart. Yeah. One of the elements of Booksmart is that you, the whole thing has, like, a very curated soundtrack. As we were leaving, Santa Gold and I both come out of our aisle at the same time. And I'm like, oh, this is incredibly awkward. I, this Santa Gold right here. You go first. And then she's so nice. She's like, you go ahead. But it's like that thing where... Once you make the offer and then they concede it to you again, you can't just like get into this debate back yeah, and forth. You just like, have to no, walk. <laughs> so she was very nice and she let me go first. And I was like, oh my God, that's Santa Gold right there. Yeah. It's like one of those times where like you can't believe these people are real, but they're standing in front of you. I had that moment uh, actually after the beach bum, they brought out Matthew McConaughey and, and Martin Lawrence and all these. And then they walked out Jimmy Buffett and I just about lost my mind. I was so excited. <laughs> what about your Dave Batista one? Yeah, I also ran physically almost into Dave Batista. Uh, he is very large. It was a, a very like uh, surreal moment for me. Yeah, it's you, like the way the Paramount is set up is this very small lobby. So if you're the premiere, I went to the premiere for Booksmart. The like Beanie Falstein was in the the lobby and she was hugging someone. Everyone was like stopping and looking. I'm like, okay, she's gonna be on stage afterwards. Let's let's get the line moving. Celebrities all come to South by because it's kind of the place to be. Oh my god! It's yeah, so... audiences are so good. Uh, reception's really good. Ten out of ten would do again. Oh my god! I'm gonna try to do it again. I was like this close to buying your next year's ticket without even knowing <laughs> whether I would like have a job or whether or not I could even go. I was like, I'm gonna fucking buy this ticket right now. Yeah, it's that good. So, um, if you are a student, I would highly recommend looking into getting the student pass and then just like blowing off your like last <laughs> week because it's like it may like stretch you out a little bit. It's an it's educational experience totally unto worth itself. It. Totally worth it. We're gonna wrap it up here. We have coverage of all of this. Yeah. We have, we've been writing up a storm. I have, like, written almost 5,000 words over spring break for all of this. So you can check out reviews for most of our favorite films. Some of those ones we didn't, like, we didn't like. We gave capsule reviews on the site for uh, students.washington.edu slash film. You can see reviews for a good majority of these films. A compilation capsule review, which will be, like, an aggregator. Check it out there. We do have this podcast. Uh, Megan, where can we find you? I can also uh, be read at uh, cinemaasweknowit.com, where all of my uh, in-depth reviews and capsule reviews live. Also, picked all my favorite stuff and I and some stuff that I wish had been better, and and wrote about it and kind of gave my personal personal deal on. Megan has graciously loaned us some of her reviews to publish <laughs> on the site, so we appreciate that. It's but, my pleasure. But check out Cinema As We Know It. Uh, check out the site, and I think that's it. Follow us on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, follow us on Letterboxd. That's where we see all. You can see everything from the festival and all of our ratings. Um, some hot takes. Some hot takes. Some great takes, and everything in between. Yes. But thank you for coming on. Of course. Please use our Amazon Smile link, our MeUndies link, Blue Apron, Hello Fresh, Lisa mattresses, uh, Casper mattresses. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please use all those links. Support the show. We upload a podcast every Monday at 8 a.m. on SoundCloud, Spotify, our Apple Podcasts, and Google Play if you're an Android user. Please stay tuned 
Subscribe, rate, comment, favorite, subscribe, do all that jazz. I think that's it. Yeah. I hope everyone has a great start of their spring quarter. If you're listening to this now, if you made it this far, appreciate your listening and uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye.